You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's what God's calling us to. A daily commitment to Christ, a regular diet of the Word of God, and an eternal mindset that keeps everything in proper perspective, testing and proving. This is God's will. I accept it because I know where I'm headed. This world's not my home. A daily commitment to Christ, a regular diet of the Word of God, eternal mindset. This world will tempt you in many ways, all in an effort to conform you to its likeness, wicked, rebellious, and far from God. Yet Paul challenges you instead to be transformed by Jesus. Give your life over to God, submit to His will, and let Him change you in all the best ways. Today, Pastor Danny will offer practical ways for you to resist the world and to be transformed into Christ's likeness. Submit your lives to Him, regularly read the Word, and trust God with your future. He's got you for eternity. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 12 as he continues his message, God's will for your life. Let's get real practical. What does it mean to discipline my body? Some people misquote this verse that Paul wrote in one of the letters to his young disciple, Timothy. And he said there, bodily exercise, and some people say it says bodily exercise doesn't profit. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the verse says. It says bodily exercise profits a little compared to godliness, exercise bodily, you know, no comparison. And so it's a comparison, if you will, of gold's gym versus God's gym. And you can be faithful at gold's gym and everybody be impressed with your physical body, but you ain't in God's gym. And it's much more important to be daily in God's gym than it is to be in gold's gym. But that doesn't mean that gold's gym is not valuable. You know, I'm an old guy now. I'm old. And every birthday, it gets harder to exercise, but I still exercise. Why do I exercise? Because I love my wife, and I want to be healthy, and I want to be fit in life and in marriage. But that's not the only reason. I don't exercise just to, you know, there comes a point in your birthdays that you're not working out to impress anybody. And I'm telling you, exercise to me is not, it's not nearly as enjoyable as it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I'd exercise and I'm like, let's just do more. I could play basketball all afternoon. We would go to church. I'd do three or four services on a weekend at church. Sunday afternoon, I'd play basketball all afternoon. You know what I do now? I go home. I sleep. (laughs) I sleep. 
I can sleep every day. And so it takes discipline for me to exercise. Christians ought to have self-control in their eating habits. It's quiet in every service when I talk about eating habits as it did in every service this weekend when I talked about sexual sin. And if you're not involved in sexual sin, you're like, yeah, yeah, you get them. They need to repent. And then he's talking about, talk, talking about food and everybody's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I threw in fasting because that leads us to the third. Did you realize that everything about devotional life requires discipline of my body? Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4, he had a, a guy on his ministry team from Colossae, a guy named Epaphras. And he writes there in Colossians 4, and Epaphras is with him, and they're writing back to the church that Epaphras came from. And Paul says in the closing chapter of the letter, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, I testify, he's wrestling in prayer for you. He's praying for his homies back, back in Colossae. And he used the term wrestling. You know anything about wrestling? Again, a sports illustration. Wrestling is one of the, the toughest sports you can, you can be a part of. You talk about the sacrifice. It's grueling. He's wrestling in prayer. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, greatest need in Jesus' life. He's going to the cross. He takes his closest disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and the three closest, Peter, James, and John. And he says, come with me and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray with me for an hour. And every time Jesus goes off a little distance from them, and he's praying like he'd never prayed before. He's sweating. There's blood mixed with his sweat. It's a medical term called hematidrosis. He, he was going to the cross. And every time he left that one session of prayer and went back to his disciples, guess what they were doing? They were sleeping. And guess what happened? They fell into temptation and they deserted him and fled at his greatest hour of need. And Jesus told him, every time they, he came back and they were asleep, and they woke up and he went off again, he comes back, they're asleep again. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking about the body. Every part of devotional life takes discipline. Luke 5, it tells us Jesus in his earthly ministry when he had a large following, a large church. But it says there in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, yet... Despite his success and the demands on his time, he often went through to lonely places where he prayed. That takes discipline. Just coming to church. I remember the days, here I'm the pastor of the church. My wife and I, we're both not only, I'm not only teaching every weekend. And at one point we had four services on a weekend. My goodness, that was hard. And we're both part of the worship team. I'm playing drums, she's playing keyboard, and we got four small children. You, don't you give me no belly aching about how hard it is to get up and get ready for church. I know what it's like. They get four small kids up and they're going crazy, you know, and it's like, get them all together and get them to church. You know, there are some advantages of being older now. The kids being a little older. But I watch some of you, and I see it on your faces. I see you, you made it here, but you made it. And it, you went through purgatory to get here. <laughs> but I commend you. It said when the Bible was written, when God inspired Hebrews, Hebrews, when the Bible was written, um, 
about people forsaking the assembling of themselves together. Hebrews 10, 25. It happened even years ago, back in the Bible days. It says, don't you be like them, as the manner of some is. Don't you be like them. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews 10, 25. As the manner of some is. Don't be like that. We need to be together. The more people we have here, the greater the worship. Isn't the worship better when you have more people? All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. And we're back to sexual purity. You're involved in sexual sin. You cannot stand and say, God, you have my body. No, no, God doesn't have your body. Somebody else has got your body. You're living with somebody that's not biblically your husband or your wife, or you're involved physically, intimately with somebody that's not biblically your husband or your wife. You're living in sin. And I understand. Look, I'm at a point now I can say, and I hate to say it, but I sound like, sound like an old fogey. The culture has changed since I first received Christ when I was 19 years old. It was a wedding weekend for me. I did a wedding at the Vinoy on Friday. I did a renewal of vows 50 years, this couple, 50 years together. I did a renewal of vows on Saturday, and I share the gospel at every wedding event I'm at. Why? Because the marriage relationship is meant to typify the gospel. It's the bridegroom and the bride. It's Christ and the church. That's what Ephesians 5 says. And every time you come to a wedding and every time you think about earthly marriage, you ought to think about Christ and the church. And there needs to be purity in that relationship. And of all the practical reasons I could give you biblically why you shouldn't be involved in sexual sin, the greatest is you are marring what God's created, that sex is to be enjoyed in the holy bonds of matrimony and in no other relationship, in no other relationship. But look, we, we need revival in the church because we have people in this church and probably every church and people that are coming regularly but they're involved with somebody that's not biblically their husband, not biblically their wife. I challenge you. I urge you. Repent today. Purify your life. Purify your life. Offer God your body. Amen? Amen. The text tells us it's a living sacrifice. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but you need to understand. A living sacrifice is a willing sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier to be a dead sacrifice. Bang! You're gone. Now we'll sacrifice you. That's not the kind of sacrifice. No. You have, and I have the privilege of laying our lives on the altar every day. But just as you have the privilege of laying your life on the altar every single day, you can also walk off the altar anytime, anytime, any day, anytime. You can say, okay, I'm not willing. And that's why the text, urge, I urge you, I urge you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's not only a willing sacrifice, it requires a daily commitment. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to say this with me. These are Jesus' words. You ready? Here we go. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Emphasis there on the daily. My friend Daniel Henderson years ago said to me, the great challenge of the Christian life is it is so daily. It's a daily commitment. It's a living sacrifice. Now the third part of our text, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I learned 1 John 2 when I first got 
saved not long after I got saved in the old King James Version. And there he talks about the things in the world. And he talks about three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, those three umbrellas, every single sin goes under one of those umbrellas. Every time we sin, you either sin by lust of the flesh, bodily appetite, craving of what your body wants, satisfaction. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, something you see. And the eyes of man are never satisfied. Or pride. Now, I want to give them to you in a little bit different form, but they're still lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And the first is the desire for physical satisfaction outside of the will of God. Outside of the will of God. That's very important to note. The devil came to Jesus to tempt him. And it was interesting, the timing. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and the spirit had led him into the wilderness. He's all alone. They tell me after a 40-day fast, and I've only fasted, I haven't fasted nearly 40 days in the past, but I have fasted long enough to to experience what they say, that at a certain point in your fasting, the hunger pains go away. And at first, you're really hungry, but if you fast long enough, your hunger pains go away. But after 40 days, 40 days of fasting, at that point, your body is going to die if you don't eat something. And before the body dies, the hunger pains, they say, come back with a vengeance. So that a 40-day fast, at that point, you are hungrier than you've ever been in your life. And it's at that exact point that Satan tempts Jesus. You know what he says to him? Since you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread and satisfy the hunger that your body is craving for. And that your body, interestingly, needs to live. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He pulled out his sword. He pulled out the word of God and he resisted the temptation of the enemy. Because to satisfy that physical hunger would have been to give in to Satan at that moment. And he would not do that. And by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he wins. That's the way you'll win. But he's not done with him. Then Matthew tells us he takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple. And now, you know what the devil does? He quotes scripture to Jesus. He quotes an Old Testament scripture that talks about the angels lifting him up if he falls down, lest he dash his foot against a stone. And so the devil quotes that verse, and he's looking to use scripture to tempt Jesus. And what's he doing? He's trying to appeal to something glorious. Go ahead, throw yourself down, and let Do a miracle. Let's see a miracle happen so that attention will be called to yourself. And it's interesting. He is the glorious one. And he's the only one worthy of glory. But this is Satan tempting him. And so again, he quotes scripture. And he resists the enemy. And again, he wins that battle. But Satan's not done with him yet. Then there's the desire for temporary material things over spiritual and eternal riches. The devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all these 
have been given to me and I can give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And Jesus again quotes Scripture. (laughs) Pulls out the sword of the Spirit and wins again. But I love as the Gospel writers record this for us. Luke is the only one that tells us in the temptation by Satan of Jesus in the wilderness. Luke is the only one that tells us when the devil departs from him after those tempting experiences... It says he left him, listen, he left him until an opportune time. You may win the battle today, but he's looking for another opportunity, and you better never let your guard down. You better never let your guard down. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? This is it. Lust of the flesh. Physical satisfaction outside the will of God. Pride of life. Personal glory. I wanted to be a rock star. That, that was my dream. I, and I thought if I could be, you know, if I could be a rock star, I wanted to be one of the Doobie Brothers. And I thought if I could be a drummer for the Doobie Brothers band, man, I would have arrived in life. That was my dream. I was serious about it. What a deception. What a lie. Shelton Quarles, linebacker for the Bucks, their first Super Bowl win without Tom Brady years ago. Shelton Quarles did an article. They interviewed him, and it was published in the St. Pete Times and Tampa Tribune. And he talked about his dream from childhood of being on a Super Bowl-winning team. And finally, he experienced his dream of childhood. But then he added, it's a fading glory. Shelton Quarles came to know Jesus Christ and got his perspective right. And while he thanked God for the privilege of winning a Super Bowl, he understood. That doesn't last. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Look, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed. And that's something God does. It's a supernatural work in a Christian's life, and it's an ongoing work. By the renewing of your mind. He's obviously talking about the Word of God. That's Deuteronomy 8 again. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Years ago, I learned the practical aspect of this psalm, Psalm 119, especially verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light in my path. And I understood it the way God really means it. And what, he, what he's dealing with there is both the daily living, that's the lamp unto my feet, and the long-term perspective. I'm headed for heaven. I'm, this, world, this, this world is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. I have a Savior in heaven. He's coming for me, and He's coming for all those who love Him. He's coming for all those who've received Him as Lord and Savior. And what a day it's going to be when we meet our Savior. But I need daily. I need daily bread. Isn't that the pattern the Lord laid down? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I need your word to guide me today. And I need your word to keep my perspective long term and keep my heart and my head in the clouds looking for your soon return. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living. It's active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides joint, marrow, soul, and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's where the problem is, our hearts. So I need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. And you need it more from me just preaching at you and teaching you. You need it every day. Get you a Bible reading plan. Begin reading daily the Word of God. The more sword you have in your sheath, 
the more weapon you will have in your hand for the daily battles of life. We're on the last. And I think this is the best one. Oh man, I think this is the best one. If we do what God's telling us here in Romans chapter 12, you will have the ability to test and approve God's will for your life. To test something means you go through a procedure intended to establish the quality or reliability of something. And once you determine this is it, this is it, this is it, then you approve it. You say, yep, I agree. I accept this as satisfactory. So the idea is no matter what you have to sacrifice in this life because of your relationship with Christ and because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you realize, you realize, yeah, other people may, may think I'm crazy, but I'm sacrificing, I'm denying myself, I'm taking up my cross daily because I found life. I found what life is all about. I found the answer, and the answer is Jesus. Luke 6, it's a record of a teaching they call the Beatitudes, when Jesus basically lays out those who get it and those who don't. Those who really are disciples and they say no to things because of their relationship to Jesus, but he says, for those people, blessed are you. Blessed are those who hunger now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who are poor. You're really rich. Blessed are you when men talk about you in all kind of negative ways and exclude you because of your relationship to me. Blessed are you. And it's a contrast. It's here's the blessed and here's those that don't get it. Late yesterday afternoon, God took me to one last scripture and it's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And boy, is it a good one. This last scripture really drives home this last point. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. That's why I sacrifice like I do. Yet this is no cause for shame because, and here it is, because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I've tested it and I've approved it. And what I did after all my notes and after sitting down and thinking through what God had to say to us through these tremendous two verses in Romans chapter 12, it just gives you a final summary, and here it is. And it's easy to understand. And here's what God's calling us to. A daily commitment to Christ, a regular diet of the Word of God, and an eternal mindset that keeps everything in proper perspective, testing and approving. This is God's will. I accept it because I know where I'm headed. This world is not my home. Daily commitment to Christ, regular diet of the Word of God, eternal mindset. It keeps everything in proper 
perspective. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You're welcome to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Danny by going to our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest messages and videos from Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry. If you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you in person. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. But if you're unable to visit us in person, no worries. We also offer live stream services. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. As Pastor Danny continues this series in the Book of Romans, our prayer is that you're finding a newfound appreciation for who Jesus is and how your life should reflect Him. Throughout the book of Romans, we read about the faith that Paul had in Jesus and how he didn't back down from his beliefs. Likewise, we encourage you to stand firm in your faith. The goal of this ministry is teaching the Word and reaching the world. We trust that the living Word is speaking to many and pray that lives would be changed. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Danny continue to teach through the book of Romans right here on The Living Word.